Hey, it's Isabel. I'm working on the next season of Borderline and you'll hear about that soon, but this is something else. I just published, or I'm about to publish, an essay on my site. It's about media, but it's also a lot about what we're doing here with Borderline in a way, and it's about consuming media across borders. Now, when I write, I'm always speaking out loud. I actually find that often it makes a lot more sense spoken than read. So I thought I'd read it for you because it's a little long and maybe you don't like reading. Maybe you like listening like I do. I mentioned a lot of stories and people. You will find links in the essay itself, which is at isabelhogal.com. So here we go. When New York Times media columnist Ben Smith and Bloomberg CEO Justin Smith quit to start, quote, a new kind of global news media company, many of us sniggered at the thought that two middle-aged white American men with literally the same last name could be the ones to bring together all of the world's news consumers. The Smiths may not be the ones to do it, but can anyone create a truly global news source? And most vitally, would there be an audience for it? I spent my whole career expanding news brands across borders and trying to address audiences as more than just inhabitants of a single nation state. And I've come to this conclusion. We don't need a global media. We need a globally literate media. Justin Smith wrote the kind of memo to friends that is meant to be leaked and gave us some insight into what he and his co-founder are planning. Not much insight, mind you. His analysis is not wrong exactly. It's just long on platitudes and short on details. You wouldn't expect a sound businessman to reveal all of his plans before he's ready to launch. A less generous explanation, which was superbly written by Alex Sujung Laughlin over Ed Pointer, is that their kind simply don't have to try that hard. And after hearing Ben Smith speak to the BBC's Rod Atkins, I'm inclined to agree. So Justin Smith has had an insight. Incumbent media, quote, often see the world through a domestic lens, the international market, and afterthought, unquote. There is a whole generation who routinely works, lives, and consumes media across borders. There is room for a media brand, therefore, that addresses its audience not as Americans, Chileans, or Ghanaians, but as global citizens with a stake in the same issues. Climate change, inequality, pandemics, migration. The concept will sound familiar, I hope, to readers and listeners of Borderline. Lofty universal principles rarely survive the confrontation with economic realities, however. The Smiths need to build a sustainable business and are banking on consumer subscriptions and first-party data-led premium advertising. As Emily Bell succinctly put it to me recently, people without money don't monetize. So this new media will not be for all Americans and for even fewer Chileans or Ghanaians. It will be for an, quote, English-speaking, college-educated, professional class of over 200 million people, unquote. Now, it'd be unfair to accuse the Smiths of only being concerned with the 1%. They are actually the 2.5%. This cohort might be worldly, but they're not the world. They're me, they're you, and friends were as representative of the human population as the fast-track security queue at Heathrow on a Monday morning. Valet then dreams of a universal media. If we deserve to Smith's attention, it's not because we're an easily bankable market and investment is flooding back into premium media. That's another great thread from Emily Bell, by the way, which I invite you to go check out. No, it's because, quote, nobody is really thinking of us as an audience, Ben Smith said. Um, the New York Times, The Economist, The Atlantic, Bloomberg, BBC News, The Financial Times, The Wall Street Journal, CNN, The Guardian, The Washington Post, The New Yorker, Political Course, Axios, Foreign Policy, Business Insider, CNBC, 
must I go on? Everybody is thinking of us as an audience. What the Smith may be saying between the lines is that it's by accident, not by design. And there, I partly agree. Outlets that have managed to reach beyond their birthplace are American or British. They have the lingua franca, the economic might, and the proximity to centers of power. They reach new audiences thanks to the internet and embrace them as welcome revenue sources. The New York Times today boasts a million international digital subscribers. 57% of the economist's circulation is in the U.S. And the Financial Times reaches nearly three times as many readers in Frankfurt, Dubai, or Hong Kong as it does at home. Yet these publications carry with them the weight of coming from two of, I'm going to make friends here, the planet's most insular and ethnocentric countries. American media is especially guilty here. Empires are parochial, they don't need not to be. I recall a New York Times feature about mushroom foraging around my hometown in France that made our banal Sunday pastime feel like an anthropological marvel worthy of a National Geographic cover. It was never written for us, it was about us. Yet I was tickled to find my tiny corner of the planet in the world's paper of record. It's why we read it, to see ourselves how they see us, to be a foreigner in a foreigner's gaze, especially when that foreigner is the world's superpower. It's why we forgive them their occasional condescension, or the way the editors forget to explain American idiosyncrasies for 12% of their subscribers who are, we are told, their new priority. I could write reams about US centrism and exceptionalism in American media who believe they are global, uh, and American corporations, frankly, but Anita Zelina has already done so brilliantly for Neiman Lab, so I invite you to go and read that. When I was managing New York Times International Weekly at Le Figaro, I selected every week the best of the Times journalism for a French audience. Popular picks included the kind of investigations that no other paper could afford to do, vignettes of American life, and looks at European politics through the US gaze. But Adam Bryan's corner office column might as well have been written by a Martian. The work culture he described was so alien, the advice he dished out was as likely to get a Frenchman fired as promoted. It was simply unpublishable there. That is culture, and no amount of translation will make it go away. In an age when every brand wants some authentic identity, being from somewhere is not a bad thing. The Economist may be a global business, but it is steeped in English liberalism. That's why it's on every nightstand in Silicon Valley, and why it's kindling for the barricades on the continent. At least nobody's indifferent. What Justin Smith seemed to promise, however, is an outlet that would somehow free itself from the bonds of nationality and put all audiences on equal footing, as long as they're English-speaking, college-educated, professionals, blah, blah, blah. No one and everyone a foreigner. The airport lounge of news sites. One media brand believed that they've managed it. Jay Rosen pointed me to a blog post of his dating back to 2005, in which CNN executives envisioned their channel as a global cosmopolitan network free of its U.S. roots, by virtue of its majority non-U.S. staff programming and audience. Quote, we're not American in our perspective, said one executive as I choked on my tea. It's more concerning than an ethnocentric media to me, and that's one that's unaware of its biases and the limits of its knowledge, convinced it has somehow transcended what the rest of us cannot. What these execs aspired to, and thankfully I don't think I've achieved, is what Rosen described as the view from nowhere, this time not just free of political leanings, but washed clean of all identity and culture. Somehow every staff's nationality would cancel one another out until the corporation became what we, citizens of the world, know full well we are not. 
a citizen of nowhere. Imagine the finely tuned diversity of staff and superb blandness of corporate culture it takes to reach that perfect middle where no one person feels less at home than the next. And once you're there, what fun it must be. It's not what a Smith or taken us, though. I know because of the first sentence of Ben Smith's interview to Ross Atkins. Quote, Obviously, we're going to start in a handful of markets, the US and the UK, and try to be competitive domestically. It'll be just another news site then, and it'll probably be successful. Maybe that's for the best. When the correspondent shut down, failing to build a sustainable global English language outlet, Jay Rosen, again, one of its earliest supporters, said this in an interview. Quote, I think the whole idea of global journalism is problematic and perhaps mislaid because there really isn't such a thing as global citizenship. There is a kind of global awareness that citizens can have. You can have concern for the planet, for example, but you can't actually live as a global citizen. Half a dozen people sent this quote to me, hoping I'd contradict him. But he was right. I proudly bear the flag of global citizenship, but not its passport. Practically, I am a citizen of France, a resident of the UK, and a cultural stepchild of the United States. A minority of us routinely cross borders, but the structures within which we and everyone else live are very much local and national. To be relevant, impactful, and ultimately financially sustainable, a news outlet must match the scale at which people live, vote, and are able to act on the information they receive. So why try to build a global news brand if it couldn't possibly be for everyone or represent everyone, would constantly bump against the limitations of culture or be incredibly boring, trying to be somehow acultural, if they could even manage it, and couldn't speak to an empowered community. I think there's more valuable, perhaps less showy work for us to focus on, and that's building global literacy in the media we already have. The British public should not just now be hearing that cloth masks are useless against COVID-19 when, 21 miles across the sea, the French government issued guidance against them a year ago. Slate shouldn't have an entire podcast series about how Americans got fooled into going to war in Iraq without once, not once, asking why other countries hadn't fallen for it. We should never again hear a journalist mention the immigration status of a crime suspect, but say nothing when the suspect is a native citizen. There are a thousand projects worth taking on to build media with a better global ethos and help the public open up to the world. Here are a few. We need more immigrants in our newsroom. We must value cultural literacy, hire for it, train for it. We must build international reporting as a transversal beat across our content rather than segregate it to a foreign desk. We must systematically look beyond our own borders for solutions to the problems within them when we report about healthcare, education, the environment, infrastructure, political reform, criminal justice, equity, anything. Quoting Dmitry Shishkin here, international concerns, just like climate, is a horizontal, not a vertical. We must develop a sense of the global public interest. Anita Lee has written brilliantly on this, another link for you to read. We must shift a perspective from which we tell stories and learn to question our patriotic instincts, especially when we cover war and conflict. We must ask ourselves why we value the lives of our fellow citizens more than foreign ones. We must fund better and vitally way less boring coverage of supranational institutions like the United Nations, the European Union, or international courts. 
we must improve the English language reach of European media so that we don't leave it to American and British outlets to tell the world the story of the European Union. Wolfgang Blau has written brilliantly about this, and you should read it. I suspect the same is true in other regions. We must urgently better our understanding and coverage of human movement and transnational lives. That's why we're here. We must build flexible working environments and run our newsrooms from small hubs all over our coverage areas rather than be centralized in metropolitan areas. We must celebrate and support truly globally minded newsrooms like West of World, I see you, who have a clear scope and quietly revolutionize journalism every day. Note that they're a nonprofit. And then build many more like it on transnational briefs like the environment or fiscal justice. We must champion collaborative efforts like the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists and build worldwide reporting networks that match the scale of the networks of crime and corruption that the free press is up against. We must start with ourselves, making sure that our own media diet reaches beyond our borders. And if you have just three minutes a day, you should start with Barry Malone's Proximities newsletter, another link. I could go on and on. It's not about building one big thing, and it won't get Twitter a buzz. It is the daily slog of improving our institutions and ourselves. Let's get to work.